Hello and welcome to another edition of the Public Affairs in Practice podcast. Um, uh, this time I'm delighted uh, to uh, have a chat with Kirsty McHugh, um, who I've known for a, a very long time. I won't embarrass either of us by saying uh, uh, how long, Kirsty. Um, but you... about twenty-six years, I oh, think. Let's see, see maybe, that maybe a bit longer. I don't know. Something yeah, like that. yeah, that makes me feel um, delightfully old. Uh, I think, or experienced. You, you are delightfully old, Stuart, and it is okay. Be out and proud. Thank you, thank you. I, every time I see myself staring at one of these screens on Zoom, then I, I know that uh, I, I know how I look, so I know how I feel half the time. Take um, the glasses off; you won't see yourself, and all will be fine. Thank you. Uh, I am very short-sighted. That is true. Um, Kirsty, thanks for joining us. Do you want to give a little introduction to yourself and your background and your, your hugely impressive career? My essay as well. So, hey, oh goodness. Okay, so uh, Kirsty McHugh, um, and uh, currently Chief Exec of an organisation called Carers Trust, um, which is a UK-wide infrastructure organisation um, supporting unpaid family carers. Um, and we're a membership body. We have about 126 local organisations uh, are, who are our network partners, and it's, it's, it's a federated entity. Um, so we support about over 1 million people every year. Um, been working since 1993, and if I have a specialism, um, it is membership organisations, and particularly in the social sector space. And to some extent, the career feels more like an accident uh, rather than design. Um, but sometimes when I sort of look back at the CV, you think, well, maybe there is a pattern here, uh, and maybe this has fitted together in a way which um, uh, has it sort of does seem to make a little bit of sense um but it wasn't quite what i thought i was going to be doing when we when i sort of started out so and you started out more on the sort of public affairs side of things so how did you go from i mean did you enter public affairs knowing you wanted to do public affairs or again just sort of fell into that through politics or activism oh, or Stuart, i was clueless absolutely clueless so first person in the in, in the family to go to university and actually, I think I'm probably the only person in the family still to have gone to university, but hopefully that will change at some stage. Uh, graduated in 93, no careers advice, you know, back then. Uh, never done any work experience. Um, there was like, absolutely nothing. Um, and 93, if you remember, was quite a big recession. Um, yeah, and there was um, very high um, unemployment at that point in time. And uh, I ended up um, working... Uh, for a little local company in, in Croydon for a few months, just really to pay the bills and, you know, give me money to go to the pub or spend on shoes or whatever else I wanted at the age of 22. And then I applied for a job as a parliamentary um, uh, a parliamentary media assistant for a trade association. And there were 496 applications uh, for a £12,500 a year job. And I got the job. And the reason I got the job is because I knew the same American 1890s naturist author um, as a person who is going to be my line manager. And I think that's why I got that particular role. So sheer, sheer luck, fluke, fluke. And oh. um, so not, no, not at all planned. Um, uh, but I had a fantastic grounding um, in uh, I suppose parliamentary work, public affairs, media activity within a trade association, my first membership organisation, um, and as I said, that that's been a bit of the pattern. 
There's, I think it's also the other thing. Sometimes people tend to think that, you know, masses of people going for a job is a sort of relatively new thing and that jobs have got more competitive nowadays than in the past. But as you said, you know, look, best part of 500 people for, for one not brilliant, even then, not brilliantly paid job just shows right. that, you know, uh, the need to stand out and have something or a co- say connection or something in common with those that you, you want to get the job from is still really important. Yeah, I think it was luck. I really do do think it was luck. And my, my line manager was a very peculiar person, no point pretending otherwise. He used to work on a programme called That Was A Week That Was, a political programme in the 1960s. And uh, it was very, very old school, Stuart. It really was. You know, he, he used to sort of, you know, stand around and, um, you know, talk, you know, it was, we did an awful lot of work with um, the Tory government at that point in time. Um, and it was marvellous in some ways because they really did expose me to very senior level politicians and, and, and media. We had in-house dining, I remember. And uh, we'd all sort of you know, sit around at lunchtime um, with the uh, transport secretary and, a, and a, a media person and some really high level people. And they'd include little old me at the age of 22 there as well. And that's where I learned to use all the different cutlery, you know, in the silver service. You start from the outside and you work in. You know, we used to start with um, an aperitif. Then there would be the, the white wine. And then the main course would be the red wine. Then there would be um, the dessert wine. And then they'd have a, a digestive. These lunches, I kid you not, used to start at 12.30 and finish about 5. Um, that, that was the culture of that trade association. It was the shipping industry um, uh, in the mid to early 1990s. So it was it was extraordinary looking public back. Affairs, public affairs has changed in that sense. I think the, <laughs> you know, I know there are some long lunches occasionally, but it's not the norm. It's not, you know, most <laughs> working day. I was going to ask, hey, Mason, do work in the afternoon. But as you've indicated, actually, there was no afternoon. The dinner was the or the lunch was the afternoon. Indeed, indeed. Um, the the um, all the, the the managers used to go to the pub at lunchtime um, down three or four pints. And my line manager used to come back and fall asleep in front of me in the office. Yeah, not a great, not a great look. I don't think. I remember I did. I did some. This isn't public affairs, but anyway, I, I did some uh, uh, work experience when I was still at school with uh, uh, BT, British Telecom, as it was in those mm-hmm. days. And as part of the two weeks, um, uh, you know, work placement you did, I spent the first part of the week out on the road with a couple of guys. And the first thing they did was to stop in the pub for the lunchtime. And I was fifteen at the time, and they delighted in feeding me two pints of uh, lager at lunchtime which made me you know quite tired uh not quite emotional <laughs> quite tired for the rest of the day they thought this was hilarious yes um, they did and you yeah know, uh, i say unfortunately the, I, I haven't there's not so many long lunches uh, or maybe but i was gonna say the politicians themselves nowadays can't do that sort of thing anyway let, let alone if any other trade bodies wanted to i mean the memberships mm. demand you know good mm. response rates and they you know want to see well managed and uh, you know and then good uh you know spending make sure their membership fees and uh they but the politicians themselves can't do that yeah but they did they, absolutely they did um you know both, both sides of the defense i remember having claire short and people like that at, the, at these lunches she was the shadow transport person at that, that point um, and it was just normal business, I think, in public affairs um, back then. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so how did you, t- I'm going to ask what skills you took from that period and then sort of then through your career, but maybe that's not quite, given we've concentrated on the lunches, maybe that's not quite the right question, but how did you go from there and then pick your way through to become CEO of an organisation? Because I think there's a lot of people that listen to mm. this, podcast, especially those earlier on in their careers that, that will look at you and think that, you know, that's where I want to get to. I want to be, you know, as somebody senior within an organisation. How did, how did you map that out over the years? Gosh, gosh. Okay. And it is quite a large, large organisation, Carers Trust. So we are, as a national body, about 9 million um, turnover and about 75 staff. But as a federated entity, we are 137 million and 4,000 staff. So we're, you know, we are pretty big um uh, as as an entity and in a very interesting area um social care as well so um first job i you know, chamber of shipping um uh where i learned a great deal and i was very lucky to be involved with with that um then we had the 97 election Stuart, okay. and uh and then i moved to work for a uh, backbench mp um, in May 1997, which was a really interesting time. You know, at that point in time, of course, uh, the Labour Party win had been so large. Um, Poor Carlos House hadn't been built at that point in time. Everybody was, there wasn't space for, for the MPs, let alone their, their staff. And it was a time when it did feel like any anything was possible um, and had a huge amount of fun. Um, I became a local authority councillor in 1998. I was only 26 um, at that point in time. So I was I was the youngest um, of 41 uh, Labour councillors in, in Lambeth. So we had the, the majority. And so I saw, I, I twin tracked for a while. Um, I always working full time, local authority uh, councillor with a portfolio, um, including when the legislation changed a cabinet portfolio. And I think I learned skills through um, both parts of my career. So in terms of the day job, um, I've been working for a large membership organisation. Um, I spent a year just being sort of quite you know, exposed to the inside of Parliament in 1997, then went to work for a public affairs consultancy for a year which sharpened me up, but actually didn't suit me. I did feel like I spent more time justifying my existent clients and actually servicing them. It suits some people. Um, maybe if it had been a different organisation, that would have been better for me, but I didn't. And then I went back into a membership organisation, British Chambers of Commerce, um, which took me up until 2000. And that was a policy job rather than public affairs. Um, from there... I uh, was actually poached to move to a membership organisation called Business in the Community, which was my first charity. It was my first step-up role. Um, I was director of partnerships, running big programmes, so taking me away from the public affairs policy work um, into more working with government and corporates um, around area-based regeneration but at a time where the, the Labour government was really interested in how do you make local communities and economies um, work more effectively on a place-based basis. So I had that national um, director of partnerships role with business in the community. I was doing the councillor role um, with uh, a portfolio, um, cabinet member for regeneration, also did a lot of housing things. Um, and that was my big growth period. So late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but I was extremely busy. 
um, I was probably working 60 hours a week um, for, for, for most, most of that time. Um, but the knowledge and the skills and the ability to juggle and problem solve and all those things um, really important. Um, I think you have to make a choice. Those of us who are interested in politics, um, but also we're serious about our day job. I think this is one of the most interesting um, interesting things. At what point do you say, I want to be a full-time politician um, and you know, throw all your eggs into that basket? Or do you say, I want to be really excellent in terms of my career? Um, and I think for quite a long while, I did both relatively well. You know, I was a cabinet member. I was a director. Um, but the way that local government was going, um, particularly in London, was more about the professionalisation of um, councillor roles, particularly at the cabinet level. And being able to combine that with a full-time day, day job became more and more difficult. And so it came to the point in uh, you know 2010 um, where I had to make a choice. And I chose the day job. So I stood down from being a counsellor after 12 years. And that was a really, really hard decision. I was a mother of two by that point as well. Um, and then I took on my first chief exec role. And I've had three chief exec roles since then. That's hugely, hugely impressive. I mean, it's, you know, and not least that balance between the sort of home life, you know, personal life. Uh, as well as the councillor, and then as well as, you know, a, a, a full-on day job as well. I mean, some people that sort of do what we do often do maybe a term or so of being a councillor, and then they sort of, wait, how, how, did, how did you manage to give it the Three, uh, three terms. Yeah. Three terms, that's, that's a lot. And especially, yes. you know, as you say, serving at a cabinet level as well as doing the job. Yeah, I wasn't cabinet level throughout. Okay, so sorry. So, sorry. yeah, so uh, the... the we were elected to the uh, a ruling Labour group um, in uh, 1998, um, but we maybe were not the best Labour council known to mankind, and we lost in 2002 against the trend. Um, many of my <laughs> uh, many of my peers did go on to much greater things um, than me um, over that period, and the one who did still gave particularly high profile was Simon Stevens, and ended up still running the NHS. Uh, he had the, the ward next door. So several went into Parliament. One is in, one is in the shadow cabinet at the moment. Uh, and quite a few others are, are running charities or other organisations. So we've ended up being quite an interesting network of people. Quite a few have also died as well, though, Stuart, looking oh, back, fine. which I know. It's I not know. quite so good. I know, not quite so good. Uh, yeah. But a bonding process for, 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 for the rest of us. Um, so we were out of power for four years, 2002 to 2006. And maybe I should have stood down in 2006. Um, but actually, the temptation of going back into power, which we did for my last four years, was too much. But I was fortunate because I stepped down before um, a lot of before austerity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of friends that work in local authorities serving or, or on the, mm. uh, you know, on the officer side, I think I've said particularly post, you know, 2010, it, it, the, the the struggles and the strains to continue to deliver services locally is, 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 is massive now. And, and did you find that, for that, that was, it was so it was that Lambeth that you were in, uh, did they, 
I mean, <laughs> trouble is councils get replaced most of the time, etc. Did you have a period where you sort of missed it massively or did you manage to sort of overcome that quite quickly? I overcame it quite quickly. I didn't quite know how I was going to step down. I had my um, second child in December 2008 and uh, that 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 was quite difficult, you know, full-time work, two kids, council, etc. So I knew there's something probably had to give. And I remember still sitting in a cafe and thinking, I'm doing all of it quite well, but I think I could do one thing really, really well. And so I'm going to have to put all my eggs in one basket. But the idea of just doing a day job sort of terrified me. So I decided the way to stop being a counsellor was to do a master's degree. So then I thought, um, yeah, I did a master's in public policy and management, um, really as a way of easing me out of politics, which I do appreciate is a bit of an unusual strategy, but it all seemed to be one that worked for me. And do you think, are there certain skills that you you think you took? This isn't meant to be a sort of an advert for people running to be councillors, but actually I think there is something in... Oh my goodness, yes. You know, people telling, you know, actually it's, it's a fantastic role and... and yeah delivers a valuable contribution as well but are there any particular skills that you think you took out of being a counsellor that you then applied in your roles and obviously now particularly as in your chief exec roles in the last in the last yeah. job as well I don't think I would have been able to do the my, my senior leadership roles anywhere near as well um, if I hadn't been a counsellor um uh you know lo loads of skills so at, at the age of 26 you're in a leadership position now most 26 year olds are uh, uh are not so everything from uh, chairing meetings, public speaking, understanding the exec, non-exec um, divide, uh, team working, resilience, uh, getting up when you're pushed down again, um, understanding that um, not taking it all so personally, you know, so huge, huge amounts from sort of fairly hard skills. How do you, I chair conferences. You know, I, 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 I'm very used to speaking um, off the cuff in very large spaces. I don't really get nervous about any of that stuff. And that's because I've been doing it since I was about 26, sometimes against quite hostile audiences. You know? um, uh, not always, sometimes they're not hostile. <laughs> so it isn't like it's it's you. and suddenly we're, we're around to this person. Um, uh, but also, yeah, the resilience bit is important as well. Um, but, the, but the constant juggling, um, yeah. And so I, I, I do a lot of, I've done a lot of non-exact stuff as well as um, day job stuff since um, 2010 as well. And that's always felt very important to me. That's good. Well, I'd say it's not meant to be an advert, but actually I think there is something in being an advert and extolling the virtues of, of standing. Because um, a lot of these lawyers are very, are, are, well, they have to be nowadays as well, but some are even more open to, to having team members standing um, as well as the sort of the legal minimums in that sense. Yeah, I overtly um, uh, support it. Uh, and in fact, um, one of my uh, right-hand women, a business in the community, a lovely woman called Susan Hinchcliffe, um, you know, she became a counsellor in my, my, my watch, um, in my, my encouragement in Bradford. Um, uh, she's now leader of the council, um, uh, and has been a leader of the combined authority up there as well. So, uh, doing fantastically. So, good, yeah. Good. Mm. Excellent. Well, good, good examples. Um, and do you think, I mean, is there any particular advice that you've received either as a counsellor or, or as a chief exec or at any point that you think, um, is, particularly worth sharing or any anybody that's particularly influenced your approach over the years? Uh, uh, so it can be no, 
of course. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, business in the community, those all eight, nine years I, I was there, lots of learning in, in relation to that. So, it was 2002 to 2010. Um, a few things that um, jump out. Uh, first of all, if you don't ask, you don't get. The worst thing they can say is no. Can't change the world without balancing the books. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do use those, uh, those phrases, um, as a chief exec as well. So in 2010, I went on to run a membership organization, the Employment Related Services Association. And that was at some point just me in a windowless office. And, uh, it really was, Stuart. And I told the subsequent staff in years to come about the early days and they just, just look at me in the same way our children. Um, you know, look at us and just say, oh, for goodness sake, give over, mum. Um, uh, and, and there was an awful lot of selling. And those skills around, you know, if you, if you don't ask for something, you're not going to get it. And what are you scared of? You know, they might say no. So what? They really did come in very, very handy um, in, in relation to that. And I was running my own organisation for the first time as well. Uh, cash is king and you have to balance the books. Yeah, so really important. I, no, I'd agree. With, I'd agree with the words. I think that's fantastic advice. I mean, and not least, I think um, that that balancing the books because too many organisations, unfortunately, think that you know, I don't know. Well, it's not, I was going to say they think it's a charity, but that's un, that's deeply unfair to charities because charities don't run themselves like that either. But um, they sort of think there's something you know inherently good about what they're doing. Therefore. But actually, yes. if the money coming in and the money going out, or it's not yes. delivered for members, or the services provided, or, or whatever, yes. um, then it's uh, then it's not going to work. No, indeed. Now, my, my second chief exec role was um, quite an interesting one. A chief exec of an organisation called the Mayor's Fund for London, um, which actually was an independent charity, um, not at all funded. Um, by um, the GLA, by the mayor or anything like that. Um, independent board of trustees, we made all our own money. Uh, and when I did take that on um, in, uh, well, started January 2019, um, I remember some people saying to me, um, I think this organisation is not sufficiently focused on um, impact. We, you know, you're, you're thinking too much about the money. And, and I'm looking at them and thinking, well, we do need to balance the books because otherwise we don't exist. Um, and, and so really with our now jobs we have to do both yeah yeah no i agree look because uh you're a bit you're, you're a chief exec you're a busy person i don't want to take up even more of your time than you've already uh, given to us today so look um thank you very much for for the time um you've given some fantastic advice there and some great insight into your your work uh across the years but also not least about uh, being a counselor and, and the value that it can bring as well so um thank you so much for your time that's much appreciated my pleasure